hi, I'm at uh, DragonCon, and I'm with Valerie. Hi. Hi. We're here at DragonCon. We've just finished the wonderful Being Human panel. I'm in my daisy getup from top to toe. We're all about the tourism, you know. And we talked a bit about many things, one of them what we love about being human. And I had mentioned that there are two ways I like to sum it up for people when I tell them what's so great about the show. One is that it is all about how life is frequently and drastically unfair, and we find ways to make it worthwhile anyway. And the second is that what really matters is looking after the people you love. So keep being human, and we'll see you out there. Great. Thanks, Holly. So, what have we got left to look forward to? Us refugees. The flotsam and jetsam of death. Maybe. If we still deserve such a thing as mercy. We find each other. Hi, Andy here. Welcome back to the Being Human cast. I hope you uh, enjoyed the short while of Being Human from Valerie then. That was recorded at DragonCon, as she said, just after the Being Human panel. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get a recording of the panel, else I would have shared it with you guys sometime during the last month. Um, since DragonCon, life's been extremely busy for myself and for Susie, um, and we've been struggling to get together and record episodes of the show, but we think we've hopefully solved those problems and uh, we're going to start moving forward from here. Today we've got a slightly different setup show for you. It's predominantly going to be jam-packed filled with wild of being human stories. And the reason for this is that we don't get that many of them, um, and uh, the few we do have we've sort of stacked up and we're going to put in this show. And probably from now on, unless we start getting a lot, we'll just include them as and when we get them in in amongst a, a main show. Um, and then we can use the mini episodes to focus on Kinky Claus's fantastic fanfic, which we were a bit worried that we were leaving such a large gap between the chapters that it was going to be difficult for people to follow. So every other episode now we're going to um, work for a chapter of that. And then uh, main episodes will stay pretty much as they are, just for the occasional while of being human thrown into the mix. We'll kick off now and uh, play for you a while of being human from someone called Lisa, who you'll actually be hearing a lot more from in uh, in the coming shows. But uh, you have to wait and see for that. So, um, <clears throat> tell me about yourself. What would you like to know? Um, Why I Love Being Human by Lisa. First of all, I love being human because it's a BBC show. I love pretty much everything on BBC. Well, BBC America at least. British shows just seem so much better than American shows on so many levels. British shows just seem to get their audiences in a way most American shows never quite seem to. I guess it's that freedom, or at least the American audience's perception, of British studio executives kind of being beholden to the show's creators and showrunners rather than the other way around like it is here in America. I get the idea that showrunners in the UK don't have to compromise their storytelling nearly as much as their American counterparts do, and I think it shows in a much higher quality finished product. 
Plus, because seasons of BBC shows are only a fraction of the length of American shows, most American shows get 22 episodes in an average season, or maybe about 13 if it started as a mid-season replacement show, and Being Human only got six episodes in its first season. They're more likely to pack every minute with important, can't-miss content, where a lot of American shows are just filled with fluff to draw out the episodes. Also, and maybe most importantly for me, BBC shows more often tend to cast, quote, normal-looking people in their episodes. For example, I was watching Law & Order UK the other night, and I just couldn't get over the fact that the guy they cast as the medical examiner looked like he might actually be a medical examiner, not someone who looks like they just got done doing the weather on the local nightly news program. But we were talking about being human here, not Law & Order UK or the BBC in general, so let me get back on track. Anyway, I also love Being Human because it's a well-done supernatural sci-fi genre show. I became a fan of vampire fiction back in high school when I started reading Anne Rice novels, but for the most part I usually found vampire movies and TV shows just really cheesy and campy. Dark Shadows, anyone? However, that all changed with Joss Whedon's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The TV show, definitely not the movie. There was just something about the way vampires were portrayed on Buffy that I'd never really seen before. Suddenly there was a vampire TV show that portrayed vampires as less cheesy and more like the vampires that Anne Rice had written about. Ever since then, every time I come across a vampire genre show that feels more like something from Anne Rice or Laurel K. Hamilton or Charlene Harris than something where I'm expecting Elvira or Eddie Munster to show up any minute, I get really excited. Now, forgetting that the Twilight universe exists in the world, and sorry, Twilight fans, but the diehard Buffy fan just can't get past that cheese factor. I mean, sunlight makes vampires sparkle like a princess's tiara? Please, I don't think so. Anyway, like I said, forgetting that the Twilight universe exists in the world, I'm also a big fan of the whole vampires versus werewolves genre. I mentioned I love Laurel K. Hamilton and Charlene Harris books, right? So the idea of a show where a vampire, a werewolf, and a ghost share a house and try to help each other retain what's left of their humanity sounded right up my alley. Throw in tons of great pop culture references and put the characters in situations that pretty much everyone, even those of us who are 100% human, can identify with, and you've got an amazing show that's only labeled sci-fi slash fantasy because the characters in it happen to be supernatural. It really doesn't get any better than that. But mostly, I love being human because of the relationship between the three main characters, Annie, Mitchell, and George. I'm a sucker for shows, especially genre shows, that focus on the created family that the characters have made for themselves. Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and Torchwood are some of the best examples of that. A group of unrelated people thrown together by circumstance who form a bond stronger than just mere friendship is something I can certainly identify with and I always love seeing those relationships form and play out on the screen. I think it's especially remarkable in being human, a ghost, a vampire, and a werewolf all living together, sort of as a family, who all share the desire to keep as much of their humanity as they can, and who help each other with their sometimes daily struggles that that desire often creates. These actors have such great chemistry together and play off of each other so perfectly that it's hard not to see them as a family. I think the character relationships are the most important part of any show, and Being Human has certainly hit the nail on the head with these characters and this cast. More than anything else, more than the story arcs, more than the special effects, more than the supernatural subculture of vampires, werewolves, and ghosts, this show is about these characters and their relationship with each other. 
and I, for one, can't wait to see what happens next. Okay, well, I hope you enjoy listening to that. Um, we'll carry straight on now into the next while of being human, which is from the fantastic Kinky Claws. Um, as you know, Kinky Claws is the person that's written the fantastic Being Human fanfic that we are um, running on our mini episodes, chapter by chapter. Um, she uh, sent us in her while of being human as a email, which is one of the options that we give people. You don't have to record it yourself. If you send it in via email, uh, we will get it recorded uh, for you. You get to hear Lisa again for a second time now, but this time out she's uh, going to be reading you why Kinky Claws loves being human. So, um, <clears throat> tell me about yourself. What would you like to know? Um, Why I Love Being Human by Kinky Claws. Wow, where to start? I've always loved all things to do with the supernatural, but most especially vampires and werewolves. Anyway, in January-February 2008, a friend and I were talking, and he told me that he'd seen a TV show the previous night called Being Human. I'd not heard of it, but when he told me it was about a vampire, a werewolf, and a ghost, I was thrilled. But I kept searching the TV guide and couldn't find any more episodes of this show. Well, I didn't know at the time that it was only a pilot, since we don't really have them much over here, though they are now becoming more popular. Well, this intriguing show went out of mind until late 2008, until I happened to be watching BBC Three and began seeing adverts. As soon as I saw the title and the three people walking down the road to a house and arguing over who had the key, I realized it was the same show my friend had mentioned. I wasn't going to miss out, so I hit the internet and found out all I could, and it's only then that I realized the episode my friend had seen was a pilot. I settled down with a brew in my room to watch the first episode of this new series on a Sunday night, and right from the off I was drawn to the characters who were breaking the mold all the way down the line. I was immediately fond of Lenora Critchlow's Annie. Her adorably excited reaction to the pizza guy seeing and talking to her was brilliant, and I loved her happiness at being called a slag by a man driving by in a van. She was so cheerful and endearing, not as you expect stereotypical ghosts to be. And, well... There were obvious attractions from Aidan Turner as Mitchell, but his smooth way of speaking and moving yet a kind of vulnerability, too. And the gentle Irish accent, always a plus. But for me, the main draw was and is the squeaking, squealing, and sometimes cringe-inducing George. I think it might well have been a mothering instinct, among other things, but Russell Tovey just completely made me fall in love with his character, and for the first time turned me completely to the werewolf way of thinking— of the three, he seemed most vulnerable, and the transformation in the house was heartbreaking and terrifying beyond anything I've seen done on TV before or since. The best thing of all, though, is that every single character, from guest stars to the main characters, has depth. Even the one-off characters can have more read into their actions than it might appear at first glance. You can easily see them all coexisting or wanting to coexist with humanity. To all intents, these people could exist in the real world with real hopes and fears, real highs and lows in their lives or unlives, and quite unlike some of the characterizations in other shows, which are trotted out, rehashed clones from other shows, being humans' characters had unique personalities. 
And yes, they are imperfect people like the rest of us. They make mistakes and suffer the consequences of those errors in judgment. Aside from being completely crazy about the characters, it was also something I'd not seen. The supernatural is a premise not tackled well in UK television, usually leading to cheap and nasty special effects, which detract from the story. But here, they were using movie standard effects and makeup, the attention to detail was simply superb. It took several rewatches to take in all the sumptuous details, sights and sounds, and even now, watching the episodes again lets me notice new things. I watch all kinds of supernatural shows, and I have to admit, I'm usually disappointed by the reveal of the creature or what have you. Even in the brilliant but short-lived show Strange, I was disappointed by some of the demons which appeared, but not here. And as scary as it was, it was also incredibly funny. Who knew the supernatural world had a sense of humor, eh? And all this from one episode. How could I not continue watching? So I did, and told everyone I could about it, to the point of becoming a bore, I suspect. I found an amazing fan forum in the official blog for the show and made friends in both places. The rest, as they say, is history, and the fact that so many people are now fans all over the world, that has to say something for the little show that could. So, I guess the answer to why I love being human is simple. What's not to love? The highest level of acting from an amazing array of actors and actresses, superb writing from a uniquely British point of view, not trying to emulate the American approach, but just being homegrown and proud of that. Utterly amazing special effects from makeup to animatronics, few digital effects required, thank you very much, and storylines that are as hilariously shocking as anything you might see in the films. Being Human shows the world what UK television can really do when we put our minds to it. I'm going to have to go and watch both series again now, aren't I? Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that one. And uh, we've got one last while of being human for you today. It's uh, a second chance to hear Valerie. Obviously, you heard Valerie right back at the beginning of the episode where uh, I was briefly speaking to her after the uh, the panel. Uh, and at the time, she promised me that she would put together a longer recording for me um, and send it through and uh, true to her word she has done that so it's um, about 20 minutes long um, it's not a usual while of being human she's actually decided to uh, focus on um, the the characters that you don't talk about so often um, and, and why she loves those in particular um, so uh, I think as she says at the end it's probably not the last we'll hear from, from Valerie on the show we'll, uh, we'll get her back on at uh, some point in the future maybe to go into those additional characters in yet more depth with herself and the full crew so something to look forward to for the future but uh, for now uh, here's Valerie So um, <clears throat> tell me about yourself what would you like to know? Um... Hi, this is Valerie in Chicago, answering the call to tell the podcast why we love being human. I've actually already recorded one of these for, as, for Andy uh, at DragonCon on his phone. I have no idea what I said, because we were standing in the hallway at the con right after a fantastic panel full of wonderful fans. We had a great time on the panel. I'd love to be able to meet him and do that again sometime. Um, I was dressed as Daisy, Daisy, which I think kind of freaked him out. But I said, you know, I should really think about this and record kind of a proper 
why I love instead of just off-the-cuff thing that I gave him at the con. I have no idea what I said. I'm sure I sounded like an idiot. But I've been thinking about it a little bit, and I wanted to do something a little bit different because we all know why we love George and Annie and Mitchell and Nina and the house and the writing and all of those things. And one of the things that I actually didn't get to talk about a whole lot in the, in the uh, panel, although I started talking about it a little bit, was all the amazing secondary characters. And the fact that, you know, every show will bring in guest characters and supporting characters and they sort of, you know, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. And to me, one of the amazing things about being human is that almost all of them stick. And even the ones that we never see again, we so wish we would, because they're just fantastic. And you, even if you haven't seen very much of them at all, you have the sense that they each have such a rich story that if you followed them, it could be another whole series as interesting as the one that we have following our little family in the pink house. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about why I love the people that we see on Being Human besides the famous four. I'm going to start with Herrick, although he's almost too big to go into this category. You can't leave him out. I certainly can't say that I love him, but he's an amazing character to me. I love that he's the ultimate sociopath. In, I mean, he's the, he is a pure sociopath in the sense that other people are not real to him. They're not people. They're tools. They're things for him to use in his vision of the world. And that's true of everyone. It's true even of Mitchell. Mitchell is an important tool. He's an important cog in Herrick's little machine, but he's still just a tool. Herrick took this 21, 22-year-old kid who knew how to follow orders and who had this quality about him that makes people pay attention to him, that he makes people feel special by paying attention to them. All these things that Mitchell didn't know that he had. And he took that potential and he turned him into the poster boy, uh, you know, a walking propaganda machine to recruit and to have something to point people to look at. Look, join us, become a vampire, you can be like this guy. And of course, the bait and switch is that nobody gets to be the crown prince except for Mitchell, who is oblivious to all of this. You know, and then they're trapped, and they're there. And well, you don't get to be like him, but you, you get to be like this schlub over here, but you're part of something grand and glorious. And he's and he looks at everyone in terms of how he can use them, and he's really, really good at it. You know, you have this kind of kind of funny guy who, in and of himself doesn't have that what you would think of as a leader's presence or charisma necessarily. He uses Mitchell for that. And Mitchell is so charismatic and so idealistic. But what Herrick does so well is manipulate these people that he uses as tools to, so that he can use the qualities in them as if they were his own. So that people enter Herrick's orbit because they want to be next to Mitchell. And watching that dynamic and the way that he uses people 
and how it all fits into his world and the fact that he is so good at saying all right this is how i will manipulate this person this thing this tool into doing what i want it to do and the fact that it works for him makes him more dangerous because it reinforces his belief that well they're all just out there as tools for him to use and it's just endlessly fascinating to watch so there's herrick and then of course there's the other one from first season a lot of the first season supporting characters are the ones that we love to hate the other one of course being owen who in his own way is equally sociopathic in the classic you know abuser sense of you know making he makes annie isolated and all of these things that are classic makes her feel like it's her fault and that she's worthless without him and it's really scary to watch this guy who can be so charming and seems like just this ordinary guy and yet there's that thread underneath all the way through uh you know in that first conversation in the first episode and he says to mitchell she was mine and that was the moment when i just went and i knew i knew he had done it and just waiting and watching for annie to figure it out and watching it break her heart my god but he was so well drawn and so complete as this awful awful character it was just amazing and the fact that they will they do that sort of thing and they go through with it the way they do and they show you these people as they are because that too is part of being human and again in first season you have tully who is so sad and so broken and you can't like him but to, you know and he's the cautionary tale in a way of where george could end up if he doesn't hold on to the family that he's found with mitchell and annie if he doesn't hold on to what makes him george and what makes life worthwhile to him until he has lost all of that and it's very very sad to see and and then the last we see of him is the message scratched on the baseboards at the sense of facility warning george all the werewolves die which means that he went into that chamber knowing that he was probably not going to come out and that was the choice that he made and that's just so sad now to a couple people we met in first season who thankfully are not people that we hate or just feel sorry for josie god josie i love josie i love josie for all the reasons that mitchell loves josie that she was she had an answer for everything at a time that he was terminally confused that she is wise in the way that he really wants to be that he tries so hard to be it comes naturally to her she looks at the world and just sees it very clearly even when she was this very very young girl who was terrified who did not know what this guy was going to do she looked at him and she saw him clearly and she spoke the truth to him and it made all the difference at that moment in his life and i have to wonder if she was married she had this whole what happened in the 40 years in between what was her life like and how many people did she touch in that same way because she was just amazing so josie i adore father mark mark is the the chaplain at the hospital when we first see <laughs> being a smart ass 
in Mitchell's hospital room and that, all, all that wonderful banter with George. And then he's confronted face on with all of this stuff that turns his world upside down. And you see him throwing up, poor guy, and then he gets past that. And he takes it on board. And he becomes the guy who is still processing all of it and is able to be a sounding board for George and help George figure out what he has to do. And then we see him again a few months, just a couple months later. I mean, season two, everything happens so fast. The end of season two is only two months after the end of season one. And he has become not only someone who accepts that this world is out there and that it's part of the reality that he lives in, but he can look at Mitchell at his absolute worst and reach out to him and say, remember who you are and offer him that lifeline, even though Mitchell was not in a position to take it, he still gave him the seeds of remembering who he is and what his life is about and what gives it meaning and why the path that he's on is, is not one that he wants to be on. And I also, I wish we'd seen more of Father Mark because he provided a desperately, desperately needed contrast to the very twisted faith of Kemp and of those who followed him. And it was really, really sad to see that being the only example, almost, throughout season two of how people engage with spirituality. And Father Mark showed honest faith and showed what that can actually do for people. And it was almost too little too late. I would have loved to see more of him for that. Hugh, I love Hugh. I wish we'd seen more of Hugh. Oh, Hugh, so sweet. Our, our pub, pub guy who, God, it just broke my heart when he couldn't see Annie. And he came back looking for her. And, oh, poor guy. And then we didn't see any more of him. I hope he's off happy with Kirsty because Hugh was awesome. Sykes. Sykes, I can't believe we only saw for one episode. Talk about somebody with a whole rich story of his own. He would sit there with Mitchell looming over him and George looking all suspicious at him and just kept his cool. And he didn't want to get involved for the reasons that we totally understand that he had to face his own demons and he did that by, by reaching out and by helping Annie. And it was amazing to see this guy who's been dead for 70 years grow through his contact with Annie and through what he did for her. And I wish we could see more of him. Daisy. I love Daisy. I wasn't sure what to make of her at first, but wow. Da I love Daisy because she is pragmatic and chaotic and free-spirited and unpredictable and just fun. Fun to watch. And she's such a paradox. She is absolutely this force of chaos. And she came in, you know, to, to heckle Mitchell almost and as this, as this force of chaos. And he forged order out of that because she looks at things and says, well, you know, this is how it needs to be. This is what you need to do if you want to do that. And the pragmatism of her was as much as that whole time of his being, you know, Michael Corleone basically was 
not necessarily always the best choices he could be making, the fact that he became an effective leader for the amount of time that he did was a, a lot of that was down to the focus he, he got from Daisy being devil's advocate. Ivan. Ivan had to grow on me. I didn't like Ivan. I still don't, I still don't say that I like Ivan, but Ivan's a hell of a character, and I'm fascinated by his friendship with Mitchell, and that he, he talks a good game about, oh, let's sit back with the popcorn and watch the chaos, and yet he's always there when Mitchell needs him. He does what Mitchell asks of him, under protest perhaps, but he does it because it's his friend asking him, and because, well, maybe because he has nothing better to do. I don't know. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell with Ivan, which is what makes him fun. Alan Cortez, bless him. I did not expect that story to go the way that it did. I expect, you know, you expect him to just be a fake from the get-go, and his story was just, again, that was another one you could tell a whole movie about this guy, and it would be fantastic. Sam and Molly, I love because they're ordinary. I mean, Molly, I, I think some people think that Molly seems like she's too precocious and too much the wise little girl, but, you know, she's seven. Seven-year-olds think they know everything because to, for a large portion of things, they do. And where they don't, they fake it. Because seven-year-olds live in a constant state of readiness to take over the world, and that's Molly all over. And Sam is sweet and supportive and we didn't know much about her, which was kind of the point, because the whole thing was that George didn't know much about her, and this was just a bad idea from the get-go. But that's not her fault, and it's not Molly's fault, and bless them, I hope that they are happy, and they find a way to make their lives something really special, because they deserve it. Lucy. Lucy I love because she puzzles me. Because... At the end of the day, I still don't quite understand all the choices that she made. Uh, she's, she's this weird cracked mirror of Mitchell in a lot of ways. And I, I, it's sad to me that she's not, that she wanted so much to believe in Mitchell and for him to be what we know him to be, to even though that he can screw up and fall she wanted so much to believe in him the way that we believe in him, and she just wasn't strong enough. And it was very, very sad to see it led her to betray him and her faith, and it was just awful to watch her unable to make her own choices and putting them in, in Kemp's hands, which was a parallel, really, to the way that where Mitchell was at that point of doing the same with her, and, of course, for both of them, it just blew up horrendously in their faces. Lucy, Lucy has unfinished business, and I'm going to leave that observation there, because, well, that door that Annie took Kemp through belonged to someone, and we didn't see that someone go through it, so I'm very curious about that. There's somebody I've skipped, and there's a reason for that, and the reason for that is the person I've skipped is Lauren. Lauren, I won't say that I've saved the best for last, but I've saved the most intriguing to me for last. I have the most to say about her. I love Lauren. I love Lauren so much that I made a music video about her. Um, <laughs> and her arc throughout first season is the one that my mind keeps going back to. 
um, partly for her own sake and partly because it's it's a large part of informing what we understand about Mitchell and is, is, is key to our forming an idea of who he was through first season. Lauren, at first, I think like everyone else, you know, we just thought he was playing, she was playing him, she was just working for Herrick and just trying to get him back. And then as episode three went on and you realized, oh my God, she's not just playing him, she's trying. And she's looking at his example as another way to be that she didn't know that she had until she really was around him. And then it's just so sad. She just broke my heart from there on out. And I had to go back, of course, from the beginning and realize that you've got this 20-year-old kid who, you know, brought home the cute guy with the mop, thinking that she was just going to get a simple shag, and she wound up living a nightmare. And not only that, but she's... Remember what I said about Herrick using people and... Her place in Herrick's plans was clearly as a tool to regain control of Mitchell. And that was the only value she had in his eyes for all his talk about, you know, he, he takes Mitchell to task for abandoning her, which is pretty rich, because A, you know, if you go back to the pilot, which I realize, you know, is not technically series canon, but until proven otherwise, I tend to assume the things in it more or less happened, even though the tone was different. He said flat out, you let us look after Lauren. Mitchell was encouraged to leave the others to take care of her. And then Herrick turned around and said, oh, well, you abandoned her. I didn't abandon you. I took care of you, which also is pretty rich, considering that one of our first images of Mitchell is waking up on a pile of bodies. Yeah, that's taking real good care of him. <laughs> right. Um, but, at, and then... He wasn't at all interested in her being a healthy vampire or any of that other stuff that he put out there. In fact, he made sure that she didn't get what she needed from the others so that she would seek out Mitchell to get it. And that was a disaster, of course, because she and Mitchell are broken in so many of the same ways. And the timing was always, always wrong when she was, when she was actually flat out asking him for help. When she was really, truly, honestly reaching out to him, he was not in a place to hear it. He was not ready to believe her or trust her because of what she'd done before that. And for his part, when Mitchell's ready to say, yes, I will help you, I will try to, in the best way that I can, help you on this path that I am not following all that well myself, <sighs> she wasn't ready to listen. And so watching them miss each other is just so painful and heartbreaking. And she tried so hard. She's smart. She doesn't get credit for how smart she is. She figured out, not in, not in time, but she figured out very early on how Herrick was using her and that he didn't care about her except in her usefulness to get Mitchell back. But by the time she figured that out, Mitchell couldn't trust her. Herrick terrified her. Seth, we all know what Seth wanted, and that's just disgusting. Yeah, Seth saw her solely as a sex object, and it was clear that Herrick held that threat over her of letting Seth have his way. And so 
she was walking this incredible razor edge between them. And in the end, when she saw that Mitchell was being taken in by the whole vampire utopia thing, she tried the best she could. She said as much as she could dare to try and get him to see what was going on without coming out and saying it and risking Herrick's wrath. And Mitchell, God bless him, just, it went right over his head. <laughs> he almost, actually, he almost started to catch on, and then he got distracted by the guy that he was taking care of when he woke up. Which, and how, how much does that hurt to watch him, you know, sitting there, waiting patiently for this guy to wake up, and looking after him when she didn't have that, when she woke up without him. And it's all just, oh, she breaks my heart. And I, I could go on and on about her forever. But ultimately, I have to say I love Lauren because Mitchell made her a vampire. Herrick made her a monster. But in, in the end, she chose who and what she was. And I have huge respect for her for that. And God bless Annabelle Sholey who made incredible little detailed choices that are endlessly interesting to watch. All of the actors are just so amazing. And I've now gone on for over 20 minutes, so I'm going to stop. But this probably won't be the last that you'll hear from me as long as Andy and Susie will, will let me keep babbling at you. So hopefully I'll see you another time. And until then, well, bring on season three, right? Okay, folks, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to all of the While I've Been Human stories today. We'll be back in two weeks' time with our next episode review. Um, and uh, thanks for listening. Being Human Cast is a non-profit podcast. Being Human is owned by the BBC and Touch Paper. No copyright infringement is intended. Music used is from Podsafe Audio. You can contact us at feedback at beinghumancast.com or via our website, www.beinghumancast.com. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll be here. We'll see you later.